0: Today, on The Winning Walk, with Dr. Ed Young.
1: Therefore, we care around resentment. It comes from envy and resentment, and we get bitter. Let me tell you something about envy. That's the precursor of resentment, I think. Envy is nastier than covetousness. Covetousness, I come with empty hands and I say, I covet, I want that which you have. But envy is, I come with empty hands. I don't necessarily want what you have. I just don't want you to have it. And that leads to resentment and that leads to bitterness.
0: The truth is, envy puts chains on your heart. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young begins his message, Resentment, and shares from God's Word how you can find freedom from the chains of envy. That teaching is about to begin on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Now, here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, Resentment.
1: Imagine if you would, on a distant galaxy way out in outer space, There's a planet that is inhabited by intelligent creatures, but they know nothing about God. And their great passion is to learn something about the nature and character of the Almighty. And so their whole history, their whole culture revolves around the desire to know something about God. And then, through advanced intelligence, they hear of, in another galaxy, a little blue, shiny planet called Earth. And they are told that on Earth, there inhabits human beings who were made in the image of God. Therefore, they plan to travel through space from galaxy to galaxy, and to visit the earth and discover, as they encounter these human beings, what God is really like. And those, they select a group of their citizens. They get on board this vessel that travels many times the speed of light, and they make the journey to earth, and they land in Memorial Park. (laughs) And they get out of the vehicle, excited to see these inhabitants who are made in the image of the Almighty and they encounter some joggers who pay no attention to them and they walk a little further and there's someone over there under a bush who's inebriated and he mumbles something and finally they walk toward town and they see these two gangs that are facing off with one another with knives and and they didn't know they'd be at risk and so they run into a bar, and as these extraterrestrial invaders go in the bar, they look around and nobody notices them much, and they look at a big screen television set, and they see the announcement, world news, and they say, look, we're going to understand the inhabitants of this earth by listening to this news, and they hear about terrorism, Murder, conflict, disruption of families, immorality, bedlam, revolution, bribery. And it goes on and on and on as they listen. And then they walk out and say, I don't know what we're going to tell our citizens when we get back to our planet. If these human beings represent the image of God, how are we going to report the condition of the earth? To so say they get on board and they fly back in staggering wonder and amazement. I've got a question. Was their logic inaccurate? The idea that they could visit the earth and meet human beings and human beings were made in the veritable image of God, that then they would know something about God. Was their logic flawed? I don't think so, do you? So we have to ask the question, what has gone wrong with the human race? That's the question, isn't it? I'll tell you what's gone wrong. It's found many places in the Bible But I want to call your attention to one verse in the Bible, and it says that everybody did what was right, but they were wrong. You know that verse? Everybody did what was right, but they were wrong. It's the last verse of the book of Judges. Judges 25-21 says, there was no king in the land of Israel, so everybody did what was right in their own eyes, in their own eyes. When everybody, when you and I, we do what's right from our human horizontal perspective... Everything ends up wrong. The expression is, I want to do my own thing, and that's where we are, and it leads us to resentment. Envy leads to resentment. It leads to bitterness. Now, I dare say few of us have prayed, oh, Lord, forgive me, of resentment. And most of us, if I walked up to you and say, do you have any resentment? You'd say, no, 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 really. I'm not a resentful person. Let's take a test and see. Would you like to? <laughs> and, and this is a very simple test. And as we take the test, keep in your mind the number of these little questions you would check and say, yeah, sometimes that's me. Let's look at the test. Uh, have you ever been taken advantage of? Manipulated, keep the number, unappreciated, like whatever you do is not enough, like all you get from loved ones are a few crumbs now and then, is that you? People rarely consider your feelings, nobody understands you. Hardly anything works the way it should, that you give more than you get, need to check that one, that you work harder than others for the same reward or less, that people hold you to a higher standard, that you sometimes feel like nothing matters anyway. Why should I be the only one who bothers? All I've done for him or her, and look what, that you can't get over how unfair it is that you'd like to get back at those jerks. Now, let's have a little display of mediocre honesty. If you would have checked four or more of those, would you lift your hand up high with mine? This is where resentment comes from, ladies and gentlemen. This is where resentment, this is the roots of resentment. And therefore, we care around resentment. It comes from envy and resentment, and we get bitter. Let me tell you something about envy. That's the precursor of resentment, I think. Envy is nastier than covetousness. Covetousness, I come with empty hands and I say, I covet, I want that which you have. Now, that's bad enough. But envy is, I come with empty hands, I don't necessarily want what you have, I just don't want you to have it. (laughs) And that leads to resentment and that leads to bitterness. And it's all right, Ann Landers said that if you carry resentment around, it's like having someone you despise live free without rent in your head. It's like the story in the Iowa High School, Miss Homecoming Queen, got upset at Miss Harvest Queen because she stole her boyfriend. So Miss Homecoming Queen took a belt and strangled Miss Harvest Queen in resentment. Hmm. So how do you handle resentment? We're going to look at two ways of handling resentment. One way is you handle it with horizontal living. Horizontal livers handle resentment horizontally. That we we encounter a problem, we look down and we look around, and that's how we deal with it, in the flesh. We say, well, I'm just being practical. I'm just being down to earth with this problem, with this challenge, with this resentment. We're horizontal folks. Those who are vertical folks, resentment comes, they look up and above, and they seek God and His input and His understanding to give us perspective when resentment enters our lives. So the bottom line, are you a horizontal person or a vertical person, and we're going to see how horizontal people handle resentment. Enter. Big Jacob, his 12 sons. Remember who Big Jake is? He's one of the patriarchs. He's one of the VIPs of the Old Testament. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob, whose name means cheat, supplanter, con artist, but his name was changed to Israel, remember? And now God has blessed big Jake. He lives in Canaan. He has these 12 sons. And now I want you to notice how 10 of these sons, let's put Joseph and Benjamin to the side. Let's look how 10 of these sons are horizontal livers. They live a horizontal lifestyle. And look what happens when resentment comes into their life. They see Joseph, who is the favorite of their dad. By the way, Jacob was a terrible father. If you want to read an uh, illustration of how not to be a dad just study Jake, he had it down to a science. He showed favorites. Joseph was his favorite because he he was the son of his favorite wife, who was Rachel. And therefore, he looked after Joseph, spent time with Joseph, Didn't make Joseph work as the other brothers did. Gave Joseph one of those new Armani jackets that you get down at the mall that was striped and bright. I mean, Joseph was the apple of his daddy's eye, and Jacob made no mistake about it. He was his favorite boy. And on top of that, Joseph didn't handle it very well. Though Joseph lived a vertical life, had a real sensitivity for God as a teenager, Yet, he kept sharing with his brothers how one day God was going to put in a position way above them, and they, of course, resented that, and also, he was the son who always told his daddy the truth about his brothers. It's terrible to be brought up in a family where your brothers and sisters always tell the truth about you, isn't it? I mean, that will, that will mess up any home. That was Joseph. He was naive, he was immature, but he had a sense of God, a sense of God's will about his life. But the other 10 brothers hated Joseph. Now, what kind of guys were these brothers? Let me tell you what happened before they sold Joseph into slavery. Reuben was the oldest son, and he committed incest with one of his dad's concubines in order to usurp the power of his father. That was the oldest boy. Simeon and Levi were guilty of genocide in that they wiped out a whole tribe, needlessly, a whole tribe of people. Guilty of mass murder, mass slaughter, genocide. And then Judah slept with his daughter-in-law, Tamar impregnated her as she passed herself off as a Canaanite prostitute. And all the rest of them joined together and conspired to kill Joseph and get him out of the way, and finally they sold him as a slave to be taken off into Egypt. Now, remember who this family is. This is God's select, elect, blessed, called out, family to be his redemptive agent for all the world. If you can find a more messed up, fouled up, low down, conniving, immoral group of people on this earth, please tell me where they are, than this patriarchal covenant family that God had uniquely blessed and called to be his family through which the Messiah would be born. Hello! I know this Bible is true for a lot of reasons, but one reason is there is nobody here in which God pulls any punches. He tells everything exactly like it is. Have you noticed that? What in the world is going to happen? What happened to these people? The truth is, they forgot that God was real. So they were flat earth folks. They're here and now, get it while you can. And therefore, is it any wonder that these 10 brothers with that kind of resume, (laughs) with that kind of dossier, with that kind of background? would say, hey, it's no big deal. Just take Joe and and kill him, get him out of here. We're tired of his prudish atmosphere, his telling on us, and his superiority with God. We're tired of all that. Kill him, and they sold him finally as a slave. You see, what happened to these boys and their dad, they forgot the reality of God. They got so prosperous because Jacob was a big shot in Canaan. Oh, yeah, he was big in Canaan. So were his boys and their wives and their families. It was a prestigious family. They were the Rockefellers of their day. Oh, yeah. Now, remember something. For every one person that can handle success, there are ten that can handle failure or mediocrity. Success is tough. They didn't handle it very well. They forgot him. And even when Joseph was sold as a slave, and they reported with that coat, you know, that multicolored Armani jacket that his dad had given him and had blood on it, and his father assumed that he'd been killed by an animal. Even they reported that. Jacob didn't say a thing about God. God's name is not mentioned in that moment. You believe that? How far you can get away? Now, we see how horizontal living, let's see how vertical living operates. These were horizontal folks. Joseph was a vertical guy. Do you see the difference? First of all, God was real to Joseph in the displacements of life. He was prestigious son, wealthy family, man, top of the ladder, his brothers put him in the pit, he sold as a slave, taken all of them to a foreign country, different language, different culture. He's a nobody, he's a nothing, he's a slave. But to Joseph, God was real in the displacements of life. He was still a vertical guy. He still looked up to God. Now, all of us know displacements. We want to be here, but we're there. We want to live there, but we're living here. We wanted this relationship, we got that relationship. We want this vocation, we got that vocation. But in all of it with Joseph, God was real. That's the genius of those who live vertically, different from those who live horizontally. God was real in displacements of life. Then God is real in the temptations of life. Joseph was bought by Potiphar, who was the commander-in-chief of of the army of Pharaoh. Hey, big shot there. And he had a wife, and you can be sure his wife was Miss Egypt. That much money, that much position. I mean, he could just attract anybody he wanted to attract. You can believe she had chemistry and beauty, and she was something. And, and Joseph was honored in Potiphar's house because he was a man of integrity. And the Bible says everything Joseph touched became successful. That happens to people even in a slave posture when God is real. God is real. He became over all of Potiphar's household. And Ms. Potiphar looked at this young, handsome Jewish guy in the prime of life, and she propositioned him. He, she said, Come and sleep with me. His answer tells us everything you need to know about Job. It's a classic. He looked at her, he said, Let me tell you something. I can't do that because your master trusts me. He's put me over everything in this house, everything in this house I'm in charge of. I can have everything in this house but you, your master, trust me. He said, the second reason I can't do it, he says, because you're his wife. He reminded himself who he was, trustworthy. He reminded her who she was, the wife of Potiphar. Then he gave the third reason and said, I can't do it. It's because God sees me. See, that's our vertical guy, isn't it? Isn't that the dimension that we need? If we're horizontal livers like Jacob and his ten sons, no, Joseph was a vertical, vertical liver. He he looked up. Therefore, God was real in the temptations of life, and now we see God was real in the injustices of life. Remember what happened? Miss Potiphar, though she propositioned him day after day, Miss Potiphar finally grabbed his coat and, and tore his coat when he ran away from temptation. Joseph had a lot of coat problems, didn't he? <laughs> and said, and told her husband, he tried to sport with me, King James translation. Potiphar believed his wife, sent Joseph to prison. But in prison, Joseph knew that God was real in the injustices of life. You see, he was treated unjustly. He was convicted for that which he did not do when he was innocent. But still, God was real. And he came to the top of the heap until the head jailer, looked at Joseph to run everything in the jail. Man, that's something, isn't it? Then finally, he interpreted the dreams of two of the prisoners. He got both of them accurate. One of them, the cupbearer, was restored to the right hand of Pharaoh as his wine taster. And when he left, the cupbearer said, You've been so wonderful to me, Joseph, as a fellow prisoner, and you predicted that I'd be released. I'm going to remember you to Pharaoh. Two years went by. Little verse in there said he forgot Joseph. Didn't remember him. But with Joseph, God was real in the injustices of life. But then one day, remember Pharaoh's dream? He dreamed about there's a time of skinny cattle and fat cattle and none of the soothsayers could understand what God was saying to Pharaoh. And so the cupbearer said, you know, there was a guy back in prison, what was his name? He could read, he could see the mind of God. He would understand what's going on in Egypt. He would interpret your dream. He said, what's his name? So oh, yeah, Joe. Joe, it was Joe, that's who it was. And so Pharaoh sent for Joseph. And Joseph went, by the way, the Bible, I like it. He shaved, he changed his coat again, you know. <laughs> you see, the, the Israelites didn't shave, they had beards. The Egyptians were clean shaven. I think it's interesting to know that Joseph tried to adapt where he'd be pleasing to Pharaoh, see? And he went before him, he said, Pharaoh, I can interpret this dream. There are gonna be seven years of prosperity and seven years of famine. You've got to find somebody who's gonna take care of the goods for seven years of prosperity so you can eat the seven years of famine. Pharaoh said, that's the dream, that's the interpret, that's God's understanding. And Joseph said, you better get somebody who can Handle this situation. You better get the wisest man in Egypt. Pharaoh said, you know, you're the only one who understood this, you must be the wisest man in Egypt, and he made Joseph, Joe, a Hebrew, right out of prison. He put him right in the middle of the palace. That's a big promotion, isn't it, from a prison to a palace? That's a quantum leap. (laughs) But in the exaltation of life, God was real. Joseph, see? God was real to Joseph. And when, char- and when Pharaoh, the Bible says, gave him a chariot, they put a car tag on saying number two, and said, everywhere Joe went, you're to bow your knee. You're to bow down before Joseph. I can imagine Joseph in that number two chariot going down the main streets of Cairo, and there's Mr. and Ms. Potiphar, and they bow down. Miss Potiphar bows down lower than anybody has ever bowed down. Joseph is coming, prime minister, because with Joseph, in the displacements of life, in the temptations of life, in the injustices of life, in the exaltations of life, God is real. That's the way people operate when they look at the vertical. There's no resentment there in Joseph for his brothers. Why, his brothers resented Joe! Because they lived in a horizontal life. Joe didn't resent them because he saw that God was doing something in his life. Do you see the different perspective, different approach to anything we deal with? Now, I've got a question for you. How in the world is Almighty God going to bring this wayward family that he had so blessed and selected back into covenant with him? How's God going to do this? How is God going to heal this family? He heals us the same way individually, as He heals collectively, as He heals family today. Take your Bible, look at it with me, in chapter number 42 of Genesis. I'm going to take you on a quick trip. This is the healing. How does God work? You know the story. God works, first of all, through a hungry stomach. (laughs) You know, the best preacher in the world is hunger. Best preacher in the world is cancer. Best preacher in the world is heartache. Best preacher in the world is brokenness. We just sort of cool it through the life till, then we realize we've been living on the basis of our own fleshly strength and power. We realize we've forgotten the vertical, which is the reality of God. That happens, doesn't it? That's what happened here. And they were just cooling it there in Canaan until chapter 42. Then Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, And Jacob said to his son, why are you staring at one another? Behold, I have heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us from that place so that we may live and not die. So he sent these brothers down there, ten of them. When they went before the area to get grain, there was Joseph on the throne. He recognized his brothers. He called them forward, he said, why are you here? They said, to buy grain. He said, no, you're here to spy out the land. See, God is using Joseph as a redemptive agent with his brothers. They said, oh, no, no, we So he put them in jail. There's injustice, but goes around comes around. He puts them in jail three days. And then he lets them out of jail, he said, tell me about your family they told about, Benjamin and their dad. And he said, I'll tell you what. I think you're here to spy out the land. I'm going to keep one of you here. He took uh, Simeon, who was the bully of them all. He tied, them up, he tied him up in his presence. We're going to keep Simeon here. If you come back for more grain, to prove you've been telling the truth about your family, bring your brother Benjamin with you, or I'm not going to give you any more rain. I'm not going to let Simeon go. And so the brothers got out of there. But notice as they were getting out of there, they recognized what was going on in their life, and I want you to see this very, very clearly. As they go back, we see first of all the conviction of sin. That's where it starts. Look at chapter number 42, verse number 21. Truly we are guilty concerning our brother, this is Joseph. This is 20 years before. Because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us from the pit, yet we would not listen. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. There is conviction of sin. After all these years, all the low-down, rotten, scummy stuff they had done as brutes, as bullies, as murderers, as adulterers, as rapists, all of that, what they remembered was how they treated Joe. They were convicted of their sin. They didn't know who Joseph was up there before. They had no idea. He was some Egyptian potentate, the prime minister, but now as he talked to them, they said, oh, it's because of our brother. Then there's confession of sin. Look at verse 22. Reuben answered them saying, did I not tell you? I told you so. Do not sin against the boy. That was Joseph way back 20 years, and you would not listen. Now comes a reckoning for his blood. Oh, uncovering a lot of stuff here, aren't we? Conviction, confession. And now I want you to see how the repentance comes. They go back home. They tell their dad what happened. He said, look, I'm not letting you take Benjamin. I've lost Joseph, and now there's Simeon. You've lost Simeon there to this Egyptian guy. I'm not gonna let you take Benjamin down there, but what happened? They ran out of grain. This is a seven-year famine, folks. So they had to go back in order to live, so they go back again, and, ja- and Jacob says, well, take Benjamin. And up stands a fourth brother, Judah. Not Reuben the oldest, not Simeon, not Levi, but Judah stands forward and says, Dad, I will stand for Benjamin. I guarantee you he'll come back or I'll give my boys or I'll give my life. Judah stands up as the substitute. Question, what tribe was Jesus born in? Judah, Judah. So they go back. Joseph greets them takes them into the palace and says, take them out, I don't want to give them a meal there in my palace, and immediately they're upset. They say, oh my goodness, he's really gonna do something to it." You see, when you've got this great guilt running around in your life, ladies and gentlemen, even when you're blessed, even when you're prosperous, even when things are going by, you can't shake it if God hadn't dealt with it. Doesn't matter what happens, oh, it's still there. It still stinks, it's still rotten. It's still painful. It's still debilitating. So, everything that happened to them, they, oh, wait, what's going to happen next? And Joseph was just batting them around. And now, I want you to see what happened. They put the silver cup, remember, in Benjamin's bag when they left? <laughs> Joseph went out and said, hey, he's the one that stole my silver cup off the table after I treated you so royally. He is the one, and that is when Judah steps up and says, Oh, no, kill me. I'll be your slave. uh uh not Benjamin. See, Joseph saw in the process those sorry, low-down, rotten brothers. They were going through a change. They were convicted of their sin. They confessed their sin, and now we see repentance of their sin as Judah stands forward and say, No, it'll break my dad's heart. It'll break my father's heart. Let Benjamin go back, see? And then we see the wonderful act of forgiveness, and that is found by Joseph. That was the beginning of our Scripture. Verse 5, chapter 45, Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves, says Joseph, because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Verse 7, God sent me before you to preserve you for a remnant in the earth. Verse 8, now therefore it was not you who sent me here, but God. Verse 9, hurry up and go tell my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. You see the difference in Joseph and his brothers? Do you see it clearly? Joseph, because God was real, he saw in every situation of life that God was working, God was moving. And the brothers just saw the horizontal stuff. I, me, my, my, my prestige, my power, my ability, but look how God worked to change those boys. Conviction, confession, repentance, forgiveness that was offered by Joseph. Then they go back and get big Jake and bring him And now Jacob, if you read the Scripture, begins talking about God. Jacob's come back home, and and then they go to Egypt. Oh, they're blessed so magnificently there in the land of Goshen. Jacob goes and puts his hand and blesses Pharaoh. They have 14 years of wonderful worship and wonderful blessings there in Egypt until Big Jake dies, and then the brothers 50th chapter of Genesis. They say, boy, now that our daddy is dead, man, he'll he's ha- he get revenge on us now. <laughs> he's going to remember what we did to him. Uh, he's going to come and kill us all. And when they told Joseph this, he wept. He wept. Vertical people whom God is real, Are a mystery to horizontal people about whom God is dim or not there, see? They can understand that. I want you to take home two things. Not too much to carry, is it? Two things. First, understand the grace of guilt, the grace of guilt. That is what God gave to Jacob and those ten rotten sons of his, the grace of guilt. If it had been you or me and those ten guys with that track record, I would have taken them and punted them out of my plans. Wouldn't you? Sure you would. But God gives us the grace of guilt. And the guilt that came in their lives led them to a new life with their family and back into the reality of God, where God could use them again. You talk about the grace of guilt. Thank God that we have that operating in our lives, that he will not let us go. He gives us, he gives you the feeling of guilt when we need to feel guilty, the grace of gift. And look for Joseph, what he gave to Joseph the grace of forgiveness. See, he he was resentful of these brothers. He totally forgave his brothers. And that's what we have. When God gives us, because of sin in your life and my life, the gift of guilt, then we know that he has provided us the gift of forgiveness, which comes to Jesus Christ as he said, I'll take her place, I'll take his place. And that's Calvary, and that's the cross, and that's who we are as individuals who are learning how to live vertical lifestyles. We look up and above and not down and around because God gives us the grace of guilt and the grace of forgiveness. Guess what? Vertical people have absolutely no room, absolutely no room for envy, revenge, bitterness, or resentment.
0: And it's great to have Dr. Young here in the studio as we wrap up today's program. Dr. Young, in this message, you spoke about how Joseph lived vertically. That is, he looked to God in the midst of all that he suffered. Would you share a time in your life when all you could do was look up to God? Uh, When I had a
1: triple bypass a few years ago, all you can do is say, Lord, here I am. I'm yours, warts and all, and look up to God. Uh, I remember when we were talking about earlier, uh, my son Ed went out for the first time with his brand-new driver's license. He went out by himself. All I could do would be to look up to God. There are many times in life, many, many times, too numerous to count, sometimes in little things, sometimes in gigantic things, sometimes in, in things that we hope and wish will come out this way, we, all we can do is look up to God and say, God, I seek your will, I seek your face, I know you're sovereign, and therefore we rely on the sovereignty of God. So through life, those who know Christ know that we can look up to God through Jesus Christ, and he will give us prayerfully his peace and prayerfully his vision, and he will say to us in so many ways, He's got the whole world in, in, in his hands, but he, he'll say to you and me, I, I've got you and me, brother. I've got you and me, sister, in my hands. That is the confidence and the peace that we have anytime when a man or woman who walks with Christ looks up to the Almighty.
0: You know, guilt is something we normally try to avoid, but you mentioned the grace of guilt. Tell us more about why feeling guilty can be a good thing in our lives. Feeling guilt uh, is a good thing. Now,
1: we can be paranoid and feel guilty about so many, many trivial things, but guilt's a wonderful thing. It reminds us that we're out of sorts with others. We're out of sorts with God. Our life is not tracking, so the Holy Spirit comes and makes us feel guilty when we are guilty. That's the benefit of being a son or a daughter of God. Guilt's a wonderful thing. By the same token, if we feel guilt about silly things or guilt about things that we really couldn't have helped. So there are extremities here, and we can be paranoid in the area of guilt, but generally speaking, guilt is a wonderful gift of God. It causes us to look to Him to confess our sin, to turn away from that which has made us guilty. So we have to keep a sensitive conscience, and that's the reason we pray daily. That's the reason we read our Bibles daily. That's the reason we think in terms of him and try to see the world through biblical eyes. When we do that, there will be times of guilt. But the wonderful thing, if we confess our sin, he's able to just to forgive our sins and to Cleanse us of all the garbage and stench and guilt that we feel that is legitimate guilt. That is the wonderful grace of God.
0: You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.